Vaheguru Ji Ka Khalsa, Vaheguru Ji Ki Fateh. This is Jaskarit Singh Sadhu, the Executive Director for the World Sikh Organization of Canada, here with another special episode for our Quebec series of Ask Canadian Sikhs, the podcast. Uh, we've been recording uh, episodes here in Montreal with local activists and academics and advocates on the ground uh, surrounding the issues of Bill 21, secularism, laicite here, and the impact it's had on not only the Sikh community, but other minority communities as well. Today, we are joined by Jennifer Guyver. Did I get it right? You did get yes, it right. I, you know, full disclosure, I've been screwing up her uh, last name a couple <laughs> of times here. Uh, we don't do bloopers, but so this is the closest you're going to get. Thank you for joining us here today. Uh, as always, we have Dr. Simranjit Singh. I apologize, I didn't introduce you as doctor uh, the last time we did this show. This is an ongoing issue of mine. So just Gore, who's a common co-host uh, for the podcast, I always miss calling her a doctor. So I have to go back and re-record those as well because that is actually quite offensive. So I, I'm sorry, um, I, I did not give your Harvard and Columbia degrees the justice they deserve. Uh, You're forgiven. Yes, thank you, that <laughs> means a lot. Um, Today's episode uh, is going to be focusing a little bit more on laicite, secularism, and what does that mean about discrimination and racism here in Canada? And what does that mean about multiculturalism in Canada? Right, something we pride ourselves on uh, quite a bit. Uh, globally, we, we, we boast about um, being this place of diversity and pluralism, uh, but yet here we are speaking about Bill 21. And, uh, you know, we love making fun of our Americans and, and telling them that they need to be envious of the kind of, you know, society we built here in Canada. Uh, but here's an instance where, you know, I think there's a need for a deep introspection on this issue. Um, so with that, a very brief introduction for Jennifer. Jennifer is a PhD candidate in the School of Religious Studies at McGill University. Her fields of research are secularism in Quebec, religion and human rights, and the philosophy of Charles Taylor. She has been avidly advocating for the cause and writing many op-eds and articles in the media concerning secularism and what is happening in Quebec. Dr. Simranjit Singh is an educator, writer, and activist who has frequently commented on anti-Sikh and anti-Muslim rhetoric and violence. Singh, Singh is a 2018 ACLS Fellow for Religion, Journalism, and International Affairs and a visiting scholar at New York University's Center for Religion and Media. He's also a columnist for Religion News Service and the NYU's Sikh Chaplain. Thank you again for joining us here today uh, for this special series on Quebec. And we kind of want to hop into this right away. Um, this whole conversation around secularism and the banning of religious symbol and Bill 21 in Quebec has uh, been noted to uh, be a catalyst in a rise in what seems like a hate crimes or violence against minorities within Quebec. Now, what does this debate around secularism and laicite mean uh, for Canadian multiculturalism, uh, something that we've maybe pride ourselves as a community and pat ourselves on the back often uh, in, in, in what we you know sometimes throw shade at America for not being as great at. Um, and what does this mean about racism in Quebec and in Canada? It's a broad question, a broad but question. let's start the conversation. <laughs> um, well, since we are talking about Canadian multiculturalism, maybe I'll go first. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it does show a lot of the sort of like weaknesses and failures as a society, 
but I don't think it says that the multicultural project is a failure. And I, I think that there's some people who would want to take it that way, right? And say like, oh, this is, you know, multiculturalism. It doesn't work. Um, we shouldn't be pursuing it. But I, I think that there's something of really deep value of living in a plural society where people of different backgrounds, different faiths, um, different ethical points of view uh, are expected to like build society together, right? So that to me, I think it's not something that you don't throw the baby out with bathwater, right? Mm -hmm. You just, there are a lot of, but there are a lot of problems in our society and there's a lot of things that we haven't yet resolved. And um, our discomfort around religion in Quebec is a particularly deep problem. Mm -hmm. and, and this debate uh, seems like it's shed some light on weaknesses uh, and areas of improvement. Um, is that unique to Quebec, you think, or, or are there issues elsewhere as well? well? I think that's something that's happening globally. Um, globally, I, there's a constant tensions in society. Um, but right now we're, we're living at a point of like real fragilization. Um, and this is something that Taylor, Charles Taylor talks a lot about. It's part of his philosophy, which is the effects that pluralism can have on a society, which is that it can make all these sort of divisions, um, the us and the them, uh, become more exacerbated. And so you're always kind of living on this precipice, this risk of falling into a society where, um, you know, you have a strict us, them, nobody can get along, um, a polarity, or um, you could go towards something better. You could use it to fuel a better future. Um, and it's interesting because Taylor kind of um, talks about Canada as having this possible potential and um, is somewhat critical of the U.S., for um, what he saw as a, you know, this is back actually 25 years ago, he was talking about this, a deepening divide. Um, I think we've seen that the kind of hopeful future that he envisioned for Quebec and Canada, um, I think it has materialized, but it's still always at risk. Maybe is it important to provide some context on Charles Taylor? Um, because he may not be as well known. I, maybe I'm just speaking, mm -hmm. I, I can't speak for all of English Canada, um, but I don't know much. Uh, and uh, But he seems to be someone who has a significant impact on this idea uh, of multiculturalism or this, this idea of what this project is in Quebec. So Taylor is a hugely influential philosopher all over the world. Charles Taylor, he's a Canadian philosopher. He's actually born in Montreal. Um, he from francophone and anglophone parents and so he embodies that that dual tension uh and he's actually been very very invested in canadian multiculturalism for a long time he ran against trudeau in trudeau's first election uh he ran for the ndp uh, and he lost he ran three more times against trudeau and then eventually every election trudeau went higher and higher you know became uh the uh prime minister of canada um so he's been very involved in the discourse around Canadian multiculturalism. He's a philosopher who talks a lot about the value of pluralism. And there's this idea that's associated with him called deep diversity, where 
It's this idea of living in diversity, living with other people. And instead of sort of seeing diversity as a problem, you see it as actually the source of unity, um, that you could be at you know, together through this difference. And so rather than saying, you know, difference is something that we should, um, you know, like try and eliminate or we shouldn't talk about differences between us, that actually, no, like difference is a really good thing and that within that you can find points of overlapping consensus where you come from your background with these values and I come from this background with, with these values and our values are actually really it's very similar, but the source of those values, that's different. And maybe we don't need as a society to talk about the source of our values, but we could talk about having the same values, right? So if you talk about something like uh, equality of men and women, right? You can ground that in different reasons, right? You can ground it in Sikhi or you can ground it in, you know, a third wave feminism, but you can still end up talking about the same kind of principle. Mm-hmm. So... It seems that Montreal is not just a physical island, but almost like a emotional uh, and political island in Quebec. And um, is is laicite seen in like this lens of just being kind of racist um, in Montreal? And then how is that seen elsewhere in Quebec? Because it seems like this is a tale of two different provinces within one. Definitely. So the so the anglophone perspective of laicite and of this whole discussion is that it's racist, mm-hmm. um, and the francophone perspective is that it has nothing to do with race, and it is in fact discriminatory towards sort of French Canadians to constantly put them in the category of racist and xenophobic, and I think there is something to that argument because um, it. It's also important to remember that a couple of days before they introduced Bill 21, they passed a motion um, sort of in the National Assembly that condemned a representations of Quebec as racist and as xenophobic. Mm-hmm. So we know that this is really part of the discourse and it is really present in Quebecers' minds that they really resent that perspective of their society. And I think that that there is truth to that. You're dealing, when you think about Quebec, you have to understand it as having a mentality of being a minority, not as the majority. So it's a minority within Canada and it itself views itself as a minority community. So it's a minority community that's trying to assert its own distinctiveness and sort of protect its own sense of identity. This is why identity is always brought up in relation to the bill that is a justification that it's a protection of Quebecers' identity. And coming from outside of Quebec, that sounds really strange, right? Because you see this, this is the government of the entire province. It has a a huge weight, a huge authority, and it's imposing things on um, its employees and then on its citizens and that are um, very restrictive, right? So from the outside, it's confusing, but from, and it's confusing also within Quebec, right? But from, I think from a, from the, um, and this is not all Quebecers have this perspective either, but so let's just say this is the majority, um, like a majority French Canadian supporting of this bill kind of mm-hmm. perspective. Um, would, there's this way of seeing it as, um, 
we're a minority uh, with other minorities, and we're trying to establish interrelations between minority communities. So, um, so in in essence, it's protecting its own minority status, and that's why multiculturalism is seen here as not applying mm-hmm. in Quebec, because you can't have multiculturalism where um, everybody's the minority, right? Because then there's nothing you're really like opposing. So instead, it has this idea of interculturalism. Uh-huh. But again, it's, uh, you know, depending on who's defining interculturalism, the idea that you have like a majority, a minority, and together you have a host third culture um, that is the public sphere. Well, part of what's the problem here in Quebec is that um, there's a sense of like Quebec culture is... Uh, under threat and it's insecure and so that's why it has to have sort of higher criteria um, as opposed to maybe elsewhere in Canada and and oppose more sort of like rigid limits on what the you know third public culture should look like Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah I think so I I can kind of appreciate some of that um you know because our our heritage as six or or Punjabi I think there's there's parallels there within the Indian state uh, where we see ourselves uh, as a state. Uh, we're the only state with a Sikh majority, but we're a minority everywhere else. So I, I appreciate some of those narratives. Uh, but there was a conversation uh, that we had in, in a previous podcast in the series uh, where uh, the representatives, Diane, from uh, the Coalition of Inclusive uh, Quebec, or Inclusion Quebec, uh, said, you know, through a polling that they, they commissioned and saw that a lot of the motivations behind this bill, Bill 21, was actually Islamophobia. Um, so how do you how do you look at this? How do you even define racism in this in this perspective? How do you apply this uh, to what's happening? Uh, and if that is a position, then how do you actually actively and proactively uh, share that with others so that they can understand this perspective that this is actually where it's coming from? And I, I, Professor, yourself, Jennifer, and also Simranjit Singh, I know you have a lot of uh, background in, in racism and, and how that applies to different communities. So um, I would say that this bill isn't racist per se, but it's discriminatory. It's deeply discriminatory towards uh, all forms of religion. And that is as equal a problem as racism and so I actually think that there's reasons why we shouldn't talk about racism, even though um, it's so similar in terms of how it appears, because I think that when I think for some people, they're okay with um, denigrating religion. They don't see that as a problem and they're okay with being really prejudiced against religion, right? All religion is a source of all problems in the world. Uh-huh. That's not, it's not a nuanced statement, but it's, you know, that's, conversation ends at that point. They don't really care, right? All religion's bad. Um, And so you have to free yourself, right? We're really helping all these people by freeing them. Um, And I think that when we say that it's, you know, the problem with this bill is that it's racist. We're saying that it doesn't really matter that it's discriminatory towards religions. The problem is that it affects brown people. And that that's the source, right? That we're all discomforted by this idea of being racist, especially in in Canada, like, Mm -hmm. I can't be racist, you know? Um, I'm too much of a good person for that. But religion, who gives a crap? Yeah. And I think that that's a problem when when 
people don't really um, address the fact that when you're talking about religion, you're talking about people too. You're not talking just about institutions. You're talking about actual people who practice those religions because you take the people away, there's no religion anymore. It's about people and it's about their relationships to each other and to something higher, some sort of higher, to God or to a higher ideal or to a higher way of life. Um, You know, it's really hard to define religion. There's a statement that people make a lot is that, well, it's not racist to attack on a religion, right? Um, If I I say something that's Islamophobic or if I say something that's anti-Sikh, that's not racism. Because I'm not talking about a race, I'm talking about a religion. I was somebody saying, I wonder if you have uh, some thoughts on that and how that plays into this debate of laicite uh, and this just general debate of secularism in Quebec. Um, that actually is not talking about neutrality to the state. Uh, it's just literally saying public displays of this uh, religions are, are banned. Yeah, I mean, what you just said is is one of the most common responses to any claim that, that Islamophobia is racism, right? Islam is a religion, not a race. And so how can Islamophobia be racism? And I think I think Jen's point um, regarding the way we define racism is, is really helpful here, that, that there is a way to talk about racism as a structural, institutionalized, form of discrimination um, against marginalized communities. And, and in that sense, yes, this is racism. The problem with the term, though, is that this is not actually about race. And so if you take its broader institutionalized form, it's that, that definition, uh, it's helpful. Um, and it's there's no other word that we as a society use that carries that same weight mm-hmm. for talking about marginalization in this way. So I think that's why we lean into the term racist. The problem, though, is that there are two problems. One, it's not actually precise about what we're talking about here. So it doesn't actually give us the type of clarity about what's going on that we need. And second, as, as you were saying, you know, the moment you call someone racist, they shut off. And so it's actually mm-hmm. a conversation ender as opposed to a conversation starter. And so we need to be careful about language here as we do, as, as we do in all cases. And and for me, the, the, the term that's helpful um, conceptually for us to understand what's going on here is religious supremacy, right? So we talk about white supremacy as a form of being specific about what racism looks like and how it's structured. Um, religious supremacy is another way of talking about what's happening here uh, in a way that helps us understand that relationship to racism in a more specific way and leaning into our conceptions of racism and how it works, um, but also paying attention to the particular issues around religion here and secularism. Um, So I, I think that helps. I think one of the things when we get into questions of of religious supremacy then, right? In, in the States, it's it's been a very helpful tool for me as I talk about white nationalism and its rise in America uh, and using it to sort of point out that there is religious supremacy for Christianity. Mm-hmm. And the way that I can then talk about it is to say that, well, Christianity is normative in society and everything else is secondary or marginalized. And then the next step there is to say, <coughs> you know, t- to lean into this idea of a French philosopher, uh, Foucault, who talks about cultural imperialism, cultural imperialism, 
where he says whatever the normative culture you're living in makes the rules and everything else is considered deviant. And I think once you sort of understand these conceptual ideas of what's happening, um, then you can actually say, well, that's, that's precisely what's going on here in Quebec, right? It's not actually racism, but if we can use the frame of racism to help us understand what religious supremacy is and then use that to understand cultural imperialism, then we, then we can understand what's happening here where the people with power who are in the majority are making the rules and it's affecting the people who are in the minority and, and their understanding of... <coughs> their understanding of religion and and what counts as religion, what's acceptable with religion, what should be public and what should be privatized. It's all being translated through the lens of of European Christianity. Right. And so that's that's cultural imperialism. And that's that translation is really sort of creating a lot of these problems. So what are the solutions here then? Um, when when dealing with this issue and educating folks about it? You know, how how do you ensure your your participation in this conversation is a conversation starter, not a conversation ender. Well, I think the, the first thing for me actually is to, to recognize that if, if you're actually trying to be effective, and this is, you know, first lesson for my students everywhere. If you're trying to be effective in getting across a message, understand your audience and what they're receptive to. And then you can cater your message to them. And it doesn't matter if, you know, you're speaking to elementary school students or you're speaking on national television. That's, that's always the first step. And then when you understand how, how to shape that message and what they would be receptive to, I think being very clear about one's own values and how that connects with other people's values. So, so here's, here's a really simple example, right? You talked about this idea of deep diversity. Um, immediately I thought about, you know, lines in Bonnie where we see that from Right, my, my mind immediately jumped to in Sohela, um, the, the second Shabbat, Chegar, Chegar, Chiyoptes. And at the end, he says, Gurnanik Saib writes, Visuit Jasya Kariya Perat Tivari Mahua Surajek Gurutanek Nanikartikiketeves. It's a very similar sort of idea, which is we have all these different ways of categorizing the world, right? He's talking about Visuit Jasya Kariya Perat, all these different conceptions of time. The Tivari Mahua, like from from the momentary seconds to seasons and months and years. Surajekorutanek, um, the the sun, the source is one. Rutanek, the seasons are are many. Nanekartek, mm-hmm. the the one has many forms. And so that gives us a model for understanding that there is that diversity is is singularity. Like that, that these are these can coexist, and what we're, it's the challenge that we're seeing is, in our society, we're given a model of either it's diversity or it's singularity, homogenization or heterogeneity, mm-hmm. right? And so having clarity within one's own mind of how you can sort of balance these two tensions that Jen was talking about, like that's that's critical. So having clarity for yourself of how you want to balance these things based on whatever sense. For me as a Sikh, I always try and look for what our gurus taught us. And then and then being able to somehow reconcile those two and then bring them back to the people you're talking to in a way that connects with what they know, right? They may not be necessarily Sikh, but they have other values as somebody who's born and raised in Quebec or a Canadian or whatever sort of identity group they belong to. So what are those values in Quebec that we can use as a foundation to have these conversations and, and bridge gaps that may exist right now? Because um, if, if, if the argument is 
for us to change things uh, around Bill 21, it's to uh, apply more public pressure on the CAQ to change their tune. Um, you know, how do you do that in this situation? I think I'm going to sound pessimistic because yes. I, I think I feel and, and pretty, you're allowed to be I pessimistic. Feel pretty like, pessimistic about with this. That. You know, the someone what you just described is exactly that process of overlapping consensus, right? Mm. You you say you take something like deep diversity and then you find a different like your own source for how you how you root that, you ground that in something really deep and meaningful. Um, that's a perfect example. Um, the thing is, um, so when it comes to Quebec values, Quebec values are really uh, easy to overlap with, um, to find like consensus with with Sikh values, with Jewish values, with Christian values, with with actually a lot of faiths values. They're they're not. Um, something unique, right? So things like um, respect for human rights, which is being denigrated by the bill itself. <laughs> okay, um, so respect for human rights is a pretty deep Quebec value. Um, equality of men and women, and being sort of like progressive on um, equal rights. Uh, that's a very important, you know, pillar of Quebec society. The the value given to uh, feminism and women's voices in Quebec is is pretty high. Um, I've joked with friends that I think, you know, Quebec would be a kind of like socialist utopia if it wasn't for for a lot of the language issues and it wasn't for this major issue because we have things like, um, uh, you know, government paid for daycare, right? Government subsidized daycare. So it costs me very little to be able to send my kids to daycare. I have maternity leave. Um, it's very advanced in terms of maternity leave, right? So these are all really like positive values that um, that I think um, it's hard to to sort of see. For me personally, it's hard to see Quebec take a step away from its deep values like this, um, especially towards human rights, and sort of say like, we don't really need to support human rights. Um, you know, human rights actually here it's a hindrance. You're taking advantage of us by appealing to human rights. Um, that to me is very um, disappointing. And I think the fact that so many people come to Quebec and Quebec as a society, um, its religious minorities live peacefully. They live peacefully, they're well integrated, they're part of society uh, and they're not being valued as such. Um, I feel a bit pessimistic because it's like that, that kind of project where you... Uh, reach out and you kind of demystify yourself. Um, it's like if if the other side is sticking their fingers in their ear and they're not willing to listen, I don't know what you can do. Mm -hmm. Aside from just keep on, carry on. I think at some point, like we have to, you know, religious minorities in Quebec and Sikhs especially have to know that um, they're not doing anything wrong. So just keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it in the other direction and that's Maybe maybe a more hopeful one. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I'm lame. <laughs> um, I think what what our research is showing us it, generally around issues of dealing with uh, social disparity is that when it comes to issues of privilege, people have blind spots, and so a lot of times people will mean well. They'll sort of bring forward their ideologies and their values and not realizing the ways in which those affect other people. 
And what we know about privilege is that it's a blind spot here, right? So so the language around, and I'm, I'm really struck around this idea of neutrality, right? That is what is intended by this bill, that right now there is an unequal playing field and we want to we want to sort of remove those barriers so that so that we're neutral. You know, anyone who you know has studied in the humanities within the last three decades would point out that there's no such thing as absolute neutrality, right? There is no equal playing field for anyone. But sort of let's leave that aside and let's look at this idea of neutrality. If we are able to then show that actually your interpretation of what would be neutral is actually not neutral, it's harmful to people in a way that engages this very rhetoric of neutrality, right? That is where you can actually make some progress. And I agree with you that for folks who are dead set in their ways, that's a lost cause, right? That's not happening. But there's always, and you know, I'm seeing this in the states where there's such polarization across, you know, Republicans and Democrats right now. Um, you know, when you get to the extremes, you're not changing anyone's mind. But there's always a middle ground where people are unsure of what to think and they're being fed stories constantly and they're, and they're trying to make up their mind. And those are the people where you can actually shape opinions just by doing, doing a couple of those things, right? Showing them yourself and your experiences and doing it in a way that actually addresses the rhetoric that they're being fed and give them another way of thinking about that. I think I think that's the way that we push forward here. Well, I would say thank you. I think this was a this is a deep conversation, and I, I, we can go on and on and on. We really can. Um, but I think it, it shows like the multiple layers to this issue, um, and that that's not an easy solution uh, or to a very complex situation. Um, but it, I think there's there's a lot more that not just six in Quebec, but for six across the country uh, to learn uh, about this this issue and um, there's a lot more that they can do. So if you had one suggestion to kind of conclude this this conversation, what would that be for sick Canadians from coast to coast uh, who care deeply about uh, our sick brothers and sisters here in Quebec? I would say like don't lose faith. Like, don't lose faith in in Quebec and Canada as a society as a whole, and don't lose faith in Siki either, because I think those values that are there are so meaningful and important, and I think that um, they are the ideal that we should aspire to as a society. And I think the more people start to learn and become sort of aware of what Sikhism is and who Sikhs are and what they stand for. Um, I think the incidence of racism or, yeah, see, I'm using the word discrimination <laughs> is what I prefer to say, but racism and discrimination or just prejudice, I think uh, those will go down um, because there's nothing really for our community to be ashamed of. Yeah, I'd say for, for something like this, it's it's a it's a long battle and there's uh, a lot of work to do. And, and so becoming informed, um, whether you're you're from Quebec or not, I think getting a sense of the issues, um, becoming informed about what secularism mean and the different models of secular, I mean, do do what Jen's done and spend, spend some time learning about the issues in a way that actually gives you a coherent understanding of what people are thinking, why they're thinking that way. And once you put yourself in their shoes, you can you can really sort of make a difference. And I think that's important. That, thank you. Uh, this concludes uh, the second 
podcasts in the series. Uh, we have a couple more uh, for those that are listening that will be releasing over the course of this uh, the next few weeks. Um, but thank you so much for this conversation and thank you again for taking time out uh, to have this uh, this very meaningful, meaningful, meaningful discussion around uh, laissez-faire and secularism in Quebec and what that means for uh, multiculturalism not only here but in Canada and what does this mean uh, about uh, racism or discrimination in this country. So thank you once again. Thank, thank you for having us.